My name is Peter, I'm a recovered alcoholic. Um, thank you for the coin, guys. Um, thank you for the group, everybody in the group for setting up and all the hard work you guys do. And that was, uh, that was a nice little surprise. It's been a week of surprises for me. Uh, folks at my job threw me a little party on Friday. Um, I work in a treatment center industry. My clients had to be nice to me for about 20 minutes. That was any lens for them. And uh, a bunch of friends got together Sunday, um, which was June 23rd, and went out for dinner. And it was pretty neat sitting with about, oh, 20 people um, that I call them friends. They were all friends. We all knew each other, and we're all on the same path. So, uh, and then tonight's pretty cool. So thank you. Thank you for that very much. Um, June 23rd, 19 years, when God separated me from alcohol. And um, I get to say, because I get to experience, uh, that I'm a recovered alcoholic. Uh, I offer that to the new folks who just got a year or two, and, and those with the chips, that uh, we don't have to settle for being recovering anymore, but we can get to a place called recovered. So uh, I'm grateful uh, to be able to bear witness to other folks about being, what, it look, what it looks like being a recovered person, what it sounds like, and uh, how we be when we get to a place called recovered. Um, I think I shared last week, um, uh, leading into the 23rd uh, of June, 1988, the condition I was in and the condition I'm currently in. And it's, it's almost like two different lives that I was able to lead. One was a path to hell and one is experiencing the glory of God and for that I'm very grateful. Um, one of the things I've learned about being in this deal here, uh, I like being with the journeymen. Uh, I like being with the journey women, uh, the folks who are all in. Uh, not the folks who are kind of putting their foot in the water and saying they've had enough, but uh, I like being around folks who are all in, that this is their life, recovery, Alcoholics Anonymous, and they treat it as such, as a sacred place, a sacred room, a sacred fellowship, and a sacred program, and the folks they work with are sacred as well, uh, all in. And it's not about cutting corners and, and, and making it for me, but whatever God gives me to do, and that is a great amount of work and a huge amount of responsibility and treat it as such. No? Is my life one of compliance or surrender? Am I in a place of resistance or acceptance? Am I in a place of desperation or inspiration? Right. Is my recovery based on, on, on a spiritual path or just abstinence? Right. And only I can answer that question when I look in the mirror as to where I am. What this really means to me. Am I all in? Am I looking to get better or feel better? Because a lot of times, you know how we are, we've just got to feel better. And if I'm not using a substance, I've got to feel better, so I'm going to use somebody else, use someone, him or her, to feel better. I'm going to use money to feel better. I'm going to use external conditions as a remedy to feel better. But I'm not really looking to get better because it's two different roads. Feeling better, we can do anything. To feel better, instant gratification, and we're often good, and then we have the hangover, the emotional hangover, the next day or an hour from now. But when I'm looking to get better, that requires any lens. And that is drastic and revolutionary proposals that we're going to look at in order to get better for the long haul to be a journeyman. And the road is very, very narrow the further along we get in here. In fact, one of the things we can take a look at, the further we get away from step one on this path, as we get into inventory, as we get into discussion in five, looking at defects in six and seven, and moving into 10, 11, and 12, and uh, 
we get further away from step one. But the further we get away from step one, am I getting further away from step one? What do I mean by that? On an emotional angle, from an emotional angle, spiritual angle, have I forgot where I come from? Am I gotten so far away from step one that I don't think I have to need God anymore, that I've become the power, that I'm not writing inventory, I'm not accountable to anyone, I'm lying, cheating, and stealing, and it's okay as long as I don't get caught. When I get caught, I'm full of remorse. Have I gotten further away from step one, which is the need for power, a sense of urgency, I need power, I need God's power now. Not an hour from now, not 90 days, not when I get my blue or green or psychedelic looking chip. I don't care about that. But right now, this moment, at five to nine, because if I don't get it, I'm in serious trouble. The further we get away from step one, do we get further away from step one? Or has this work driven me further into step one as I move down the shade? That by the time I'm into 10, 11, and 12 and experience this abundance of God, and abundance is a great word in AA, that I'm further into step one and the need for power because without the power, it's self-reliance. I'm running the show. And my life looks like a drunk without a drink in me. I look like a dauphine even though I'm not using. And only we can answer that. We can, we're the best at putting on a game face. We are the best at, at, at creating disguises and, and putting on a mask. We can look angelic for an hour. We can look so good, people will believe Jesus comes to us for advice. <laughs> right? Until we hit the parking lot, get in the car and get on 95 and get home. Am I hanging out in places that I know, really, I shouldn't be hanging out in? I can watch the Super Bowl in my house, or maybe I'll go down to the bar because it's a big screen TV, and there's a lot of little skirts running around. I know I'm not supposed to be there while drinking's being served, and I got 25 minutes sober. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? Where am I in all of this? Am I looking to get better or feel better? And I tell the guys this all the time, underneath every skirt is a slip. And so we can get sober and start chasing women and forgetting about pursuing God. And the external stuff becomes my God rather than God the power. And we will bottom out. We will drink. We'll skate by for a little while. We'll get the 90 days. We'll get the six months. We even may nail a year, but it'll get us because not only is cunning, baffling, and powerful, it's patient. And then we start to acquire things like resentments, which is the number one offender. And even though I give lip service to turning it over to God, I'm not really not turning over anything to God. It's just lip service. It's really interesting as we get into this third step and move into four through nine, when we talk about this relationship with God that we're just beginning to have and what the prayer life looks like and turning it over really looks like. We can do, anyone can hit the meditation mat for 15 or 20 minutes and turn it into a marathon and really try to talk God into what we need for the day. But even if I really do a great job, if we can measure this, if you will, what my prayer life looks like, I hit the mat, hit my knees every morning, same time for 20 minutes, prayer meditation. That's wonderful. But what happens when I get up off the mat, when I get up off my knees, and then I go into circulation? Then what does it look like? Is my day a reflection of the prayer I made at 6 a.m.? Is my day a reflection of prayer when somebody cuts me off and someone jumps the line or someone speaks harshly about me? Am I still in that place of prayer? That's some of our any lens. 
It's easy to turn my will and life over to care of God when I bottom out in step one and I get the sponsor and he or she says, we're going to turn it over and together we get on our knees and we're lighting candles. I mean, we incense, we got all stuff kind of going on in the house and we feel really good, right? Even Charles Manson would feel spiritual for a moment in this atmosphere. Everything's good. And then I leave the sponsor's house and that's behind me. Well, he told me to write four. I got to go to the gym first. When I get home tonight, I'll write. I turn nothing over. And when I turn my will and life over to care of God, that means any lens is none of my business, but any lens means any lens. And when it shows up, I'll know it, and I have to cross that bridge. And sometimes in Alcoholics Anonymous, we'll hear folks say, well, it's a leap of faith. I always like to talk about this. It's a leap of faith. Your third step is a leap of faith. You're going to go from a place that you do know to a place you don't know. And I've always challenged that. There's no such thing as a leap of faith. Because who's inspiring me to find the sponsor? Who's inspiring me to take this so-called leap? And who's in the middle of the leap? And who's on the other ground when I do land? God, because there is no gravity in God's world. There's no such thing as a leap of faith. The only thing I'm experiencing is going from what I know to the place called the unknown. But God is orchestrating the whole thing. I just have to close my eyes and trust. Am I willing to trust? The flying blind period, if you will. No such thing as a leap of faith. Who brought me into Alcoholics Anonymous anyway? Me? My mom, my dad, my sponsor, my treatment center? No one brought me into AA but God. He picked people to bring me in here or to carry me literally in here. But God brought me in. So why why would God create this valley between me and the place I got to get to? That would be a cruel God. The valley is my perceptions and conceptions about life and my real doubts about this God that it might be a little tricky here. There's no such thing as being tricky with God. How could a God be tricky who's all love and no opposite? And we need to tell newcomers about that as they approach three and rock it into four through nine. Selfishness, self-centeredness, that we think is the root of our troubles. I'm driven by a hundred forms of fear, my book tells me. The root of my troubles is selfishness and self-centeredness. Where are roots on a tree? Underground, you can't see them. The same thing with my addiction, my illness, my brokenness, regardless of how long we're sober. It's underground. And no one can see it. I know it's there every once in a while when I'm acting out. Anyone finds out, oh my God, they banned me from AA. But as long as I don't get caught, I'm good. Because I walk into Naomi and put the AA game face, nice little jacket, and pretend. Which is exactly how we go through life, most of us. We pretend. We're skipping. You ever throw stones on a water and you watch them bounce? That's how we go through life. We keep skipping and skipping and skipping and skipping. And each skip is, I need something out there to keep me afloat. It's this false sense of self, this, pre- this pretending that we do. Four through nine will not allow that, will not prohibit this kind of pretending. And we keep skipping along because God forbid if we stop for a moment and let God get a hold of us, we feel like we're going to sink, which is exactly what happens. It's called the death of self. We will sink. And what appears to be our darkest moment turns out to be the brightest one because self finally dies, which is needed, which is vital for this process to take. Get the new girlfriend, get another job, get more money, get another girlfriend, get another job, get more money, get another girlfriend, get another car. 
get new clothes, get something, vacation, go here, go there, take up hobbies. Just keep moving. Just keep moving. You know, always got drama. Drama's a great one to keep moving. Got to have drama. I'm involved. No, I got more problems. You have no idea. It's my boss, my car. It's just something. Her, him. Keep going. But if we stop for a moment, get off the internet for five minutes and don't text on a meeting, oh my God. I was at a meeting last night. A gentleman was pouring his heart out from the podium. I got up to use the restroom. I walked along the back row. Two guys were playing some sort of race car game on their phone. What I wanted to say and what I did say was two different things. But they're constantly busy. Got to do something. Because if we stop and this work stops us, we feel like we're going to sink. What we need to do is dissolve right back into God. Dissolve into God to get oneness with God. We can't do that on our own. I can't do that by just going to a meeting. And I can collect coins from now to, to, to the end of time. You can't have, it can't happen that way. It doesn't happen by osmosis. It happens by forging this out on an anvil and the destruction of the removal of self. And it starts with a decision where I'm willing to let this happen. And if I'm not sure, I have to ask myself a question. Based on what I've been doing, how's it been working for me so far? I know I'm a con. I know I'm a cheat. I know I'm a thief. I know when I'm putting a play on somebody. I know when I'm back in the street. I know when I'm acting like a gangster. I, we know what we're doing. We know exactly what we're doing. But God forbid we should stop it. We feel like we cease to exist. Well, how do I not act tough? How do I not act like a player? How do I don't flirt with men? How does this happen? What happens to me? You will die. Great. The death of self. Step three says we're going to stop everything because life on your terms doesn't work. Life on my terms doesn't work. We're going to stop everything. We're going to try a different way. God's terms because we can't live life on life's terms, huh? And it's just a simple prayer. Page 62 into 63 is the third step consideration. God's the father. I'm his child. What does any parent do for their children? Provide for them. Give them everything they need. Love unconditionally. I'm in the treatment center business. I, I call parents sometimes that I rate, but they still love their children. What about God's love for us, who gave us our parents and our children? It's endless, it's boundless. There's, 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 there's no cutoff point. But we usually, like I did, approach God with a thinking mind, which is very limited, very narrow-minded, and usually based on external things going great for me. That means God loves me. And I don't look at the challenges or the roadblocks or when God shuts something down as this is great for me. God loves me this much, he removed this relationship from me. God loves me so much, he took my money from me. God loves me so much, he took me, this job away from me. Can't see it at the moment until I get to the other side. And so, oh my God, my God really loves me. Kept me out of harm's way. The same way we pull our children out of the street and they, they, they hate us for that moment because they think we're denying something to them. Until they turn about 15 or 16 and realize how much we love them. Step three shuts everything down and says we're going to live along these lines. And 62 and 63, the considerations. That's the third step. He's the father, we're his children. He's the employer, we work for him. He's the director. He's the principal, we're his agents. What does an agent do for the principal? Represents the principal. Michael Jordan has, a prince, has an agent. Michael Jordan's the principal. 
When that agent goes out, he represents Michael Jordan. My book just told me we represent God in all we do. In thought, word, and deed. How am I doing with that task? The old timer said it best. I may be the only copy of the big book someone ever reads. How am I doing with that? You don't know. News, newcomers are watching. They're watching the old timers, what they're doing, how they're behaving. How am I doing with that? How am I doing? I get the little prospect knock on my door, so I'm ready to go through the work. And I just got off the internet watching things I shouldn't be doing, and they're entrusting me with their life. How am I doing? Right? And the third step, prayer, is simply an affirmation of willing to live along those terms. God, I offer myself to you to build with me and do with me as you will. Nothing to do with my terms. Bear witness to those I would help of your power, love, and way of life. May it do your will only. It's nothing to do with me. This is a complete surrender back to the power that gave me free will in the first place. He gave me something to play with. I broke it. Same way when we give our children a Christmas toy and they break it. What do we do? They give it back to us and we fix it and give it back to them to go play. But like children, they don't want to give it to us. No, I'll fix it. And they take it in their room, and they hate us, and they try to, and when they fix it, when they finally give up, they come back and say, Mommy, can you fix this? And we snap in place here, go play. And then they take credit for it. <laughs> Which is exactly what happens to us in step three. God gave us free will. Next to his love, it's the greatest gift we've ever gotten, free will. It separates us from the animals. But I will tell you, when I was using, I turned into an animal, because free will was taken from me, it was owned by alcohol. That was my master. I had no free will. I had people coming into treatment and early recovery. Oh, I need this. I need to do that. You're in my way. How was it going when you were using? You had nothing. Next drink. Do anything for the next one. Huh? There's no freedom in that. But Big Book is saying, listen, just turn it back to God. who gave it to you in the first place. And you will be loved beyond what you can comprehend right now. You can't even fathom what's about to happen. And I tell new folks, you have no idea the path you just stepped onto. This is, will electrify you. But the mind gets in the way because the mind dominates me. The mind owns me. And I live along the lines of consciousness of my mind. That's my God, not God consciousness, which I live along me, which is fear-based and insecure, skepticism, doubt. It goes on and on ad infinitum. There's no God in that. Oh, there's pleasure in screwing up. There's pleasure in the sin for ways that we live. There's pleasure in cutting corners and getting away with it. But in the long term, it'll bite me right in the butt and I'll get drunk again. But the illness never says, you're going to get drunk. The illness says, I got away with it again. I'm so slick. And so what I did was, I think I talked about this last week, I got on my knees with my sponsor in his house. We held hands together, which I thought was a little different for me. It's a little strange. We closed our eyes and we did the third step prayer and I followed him. I was so nervous. I screwed up the whole prayer and he just took the lead like a good teacher would. I got you. I'll lead you through this. And I just followed him. And when I got done, we got up and he says, your life is no longer any of your business. Well, I really didn't know what he meant when he said that. I thought he was being cute, giving me one of those old-time one-liners. But it was very, very true because it wasn't my business. Now, he didn't tell me, okay, go make 90 meetings in 90 days or get a good third step. Read the 12 and 12 every day for a month. He says, here's your instructions for four. Go home and start four. How do we do step three? 
How do I turn it over to God? How do I turn my will and life, my thinking and my actions over to this God that I'm begging, hopefully, to save my life? It's by doing four through nine is the way we turn it over. And somewhere in there, we will experience a conversion from my will to God's will and gladly do God's will. How can I experience God if I'm playing God all the time? I want to be the landlord of my own kingdom, let only the people I want in, and suddenly God is on the outer fringes of this life, and I call on it when it looks good or I need it or it's convenient. All in. God really thinks I mean it when I say I turn my life back over to you. He, he's play, you know, this is welcome to the NFL. So what happened to me when I started, uh, first time I started to write inventory, I remember I, I sat down. And uh, I was living in the streets. I was homeless. And now I have this little studio apartment, my first place. And um, I was living in a hallway at the time uh, when I was using rats and roaches and, and filth and, you know, urine and, and me. And I had this little apartment to decide to start my fourth step. And I looked around and I says, hmm, I should vacuum the rug. It's got a little lint on it. I was living in a hallway, now I'm worried about lint on a rug. And I said, I'm going to make some coffee, because AAs make coffee, so I made a vat of coffee, you know. And I said, I should eat something, because it's going to be a long night. I'm going to be writing through the night. I'm going to make something to eat, and I ate and I had coffee. Now I'm wide awake, and I said, so I should digest my food. And I watched a little TV, get in a good mood, and I fell asleep. <laughs> And the next day, I did the same thing again, and um, I said, well, hold on a second. What's this sex inventory stuff? He's not getting any of that. And I'm really not resentful at that person. I'm just a little upset. Besides, but this is, we all do this. I'm not angry with them anymore. It's old, right? We're already trying to minimize the amount of writing because you know this is going to be a task. Okay, did this for just a, just a, not even a week, and uh, my sponsor said, how's that going? I said, well, you know, I'm, did, you know how newcomers, they just mumble because they don't, they know they're caught. <laughs> I'm busy, I had to go to a hockey game. Uh, my kids got, kids are always getting sick right in the middle of the fourth step, by the way, you know that? And uh, so, uh, I'll clean up the language, but he used some nice little four-letter words and reminded me about the any lens, and the only way I was going to do step four was with God. That if I was going to write this fourth step on my own, power was not going to be complete. It would be incomplete. It would be full of dishonesty and manipulation, and a lot of things would be vacant. And this path requires my fidelity to God, to solitude, to meditation, to prayer, to commitment to God, to this big book, and to my fellowship. It's one of the any lens, and I was failing already. And I was willing to do anything, but the mind was not done with me the way it's not done with us. Thank God for good sponsorship. So I went home and I was given some instructions. Write a prayer across the top of the page. Thank you, God, for allowing me to be searching, fearless, and moral. Then I would sit in meditation. And the rhythm would come when I pick up a pen and I began to write. I wrote a master list of names. I went back through my life and wrote names. No attachments to what these names meant because I, had, I was told whatever name comes to me, it's coming from God, therefore it's divine. My job is not to say yes or no. Not if I'm turning it over. I'm not angry with Uncle Joe. Put it down. 
And when I'm done with the names, the last two names that went down were me and God, because I had a God problem like most of us, and I, I despised me still. Huge problems with me. And so I went through, went right back to my list, started listing names. And every time I got done writing, I'd close the book and close the session with another prayer. Thank you, God, for allowing me to be searching for some more, because I'm shifting from this level of consciousness to another one and back out again. And once I'm done writing, I need to go out my day. I can't walk around with that stuff. Huh? The pen becomes the spiritual translator. We're not writing it. Pray you don't write your fourth step. I prayed I don't write my fourth step. The same way when I do these talks, I pray I don't show up. So far, so good. Body's here. Body's writing. But the spirit's pushing. The spirit will push. The pen becomes a spiritual translator. And things will come to the paper that we've forgotten about. Or we'll go, oh my God, where's this coming from? Guess Where? You will find a, 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 in the writing things that disturb us that we really don't want to be brought, uh, uh, put any light on. We will find some solitude and sacredness in the most God-awful things. It's finally being put out in the light. It grows in the dark. And the Father, the Heavenly Father is pushing and pushing. Let's put this down. Let's put that name down. And pushing because we asked him to turn, take our life. We asked him to get us free. I asked my God to get me sober. Okay, here it is. I've been walking around in this room with the lights off and the doors locked and the chairs and tables in the way. And I kept bumping into stuff and falling down. When I had enough, I says, can you help me? He says, great. Take the blindfold off. Let's lift on the lights. And here's the mess. Now I can see the room is a mess, my life. And he says, these chairs are broken. They need to go. These need to be cleaned up a little bit. That goes against the wall. And now I'm walking back and forth free, saying, why did I wait so long to ask for help? The spirit that we have is perfect. It's untouched. It's God. What surrounds that is brokenness, me, and the self, and the false sense of self, and a thinking mind that needs to accumulate. It will not tolerate God in the same room. My ego will not tolerate God in the same room, but God's greater than that, and I just need to turn to it, and it will eliminate little by slowly. I chop wood, carry water, and it gets pushed out. The same way the seas were parted for Moses, it will happen with our life. The life will be opened up and a clear path, which has been paved the day we got here. We were born for a reason. We've gotten sober for a reason. It's been cluttered with stuff, life stuff that we bought into, belief system, resentments, fears. It goes on and on and on. Self will run riot. Unmanageability is always an internal condition, never an external one. I made the mess. I don't care what people did to us because my fourth step says whether they were right or wrong, it's my inventory for the first time. They're not cleaning up the road, but God is going to use me as the laborer. Envision for you, it says patience, willingness, and labor to duplicate what our founding members did. Labor's work. I'm going to get dirty and get some bruises and callus. I'm going to chop wood and carry water. And as I clean up, it's like a plane coming into the airport. The runway's all lit up. That's for me. This is what God has given me. Am I going to walk it? The difficulty that comes up with me with this writing or turning it over or just moving through the rest of the work is all coming from my mind. When we're getting on a spiritual path, my experience has been this. When I'm on a spiritual path, 
My illness, my thinking mind, is the worst poker player in the world. It tips its hand every time, it shows me exactly what it's holding every time. It's called awareness. Are they coming for me? What was that? <laughs> the last meeting I did, the guy that got a resentment, so he's going to ruin this meeting. Um, spiritually fit, the illness becomes the worst poker player. It tips his hand every time. We can see it. We can spot it a mile away. One of the great things about being spiritually fit, I can spot the illness and have people spotters around me. It's a support group and the sponsors say, hey, listen, you see what's going on? But the more spiritually fit I am, I can actually see. I can get unhooked from the mind. I can see exactly what's going on, which means I'm not disturbed as much. But when I'm running the show, it becomes the best poker play in the world, and I can't even see it coming. It tricks me every time. The mind is a great trickster. So I began to write this master list, and I put down names. And when I got done with the names, I list all names, and I created four columns, wrote long ways along the paper. First column was resentment. That's the person I'm angry with. Mom, dad, grandparents, exes, whatever it might be. And the second column was called cause. Why, I, why am I angry? Why am I resentful? Why am I hateful towards them? Why am I disturbed by this person? In fact, when I think of them, I get upset. Put it down. And I list exactly why. One sentence. Because we can get into resentment, mom, cause. Well, she was a really good woman. I remember, you know, she'd take me to games all the time, my little league, and took me to practice, and she cooked dinner all the time, but she met my dad, who was a real loser, and I don't know what, we just sat and writing this War and Peace novel. And we list exactly why we're angry with this person. And then we go on to the next person. Next person, we complete the first column, complete the second column. I like going column at a time, because one, two, three, four, and back to one is too much shifting. And look at the third column, which talks about the seven areas of self. My pride, how I think others view me. My self-esteem, how I view me. My emotional security, what I need from you to be okay. And I already start to see how I'm playing God in every area of my life, which step four will show. I find God by finding out what God is not. I find me by finding out what I am not. And I see my attachments to external conditions in my third column, my ambition, what I want, what I need from you, what I want from you, so I'm okay. Over and over and over again, I'm playing to you. The belief system was I'm in charge of my life and I know what I need to do. And just the opposite's going on. You own me. Your opinion of me will kill me or break or, or make me. If she leaves me, I'm dead. If the boss says don't come back, I'm dead. Huge attachments. We see that in the third column. We see sex relations in there. Not only sex relations on a physical level, but sex relations, my idea of what a man should be, my idea of what a woman should be. I was brought up in a different era than some folks, young folks here. I was brought up, and I'm embarrassed to say it, but the story was, a woman's place is in the home. Men go work. Women don't go to college. Men go to college. Well, now I turned 17 and 18, and girls are going to college, as they should. And I, was, I says, what's, what's your story? Why college? What are you talking about? What kind of girl are you? you know? 
She's sleeping with the Michigan State football team. That's okay. But college, how dare you? You know. I had problems with personal relationships with the opposite sex. Women are not independent. Do not get a woman who's independent. This is how I was brought up. So you meet a girl who's independent going to college and working. I got a problem with this one. Right? I didn't know that till I put it on paper. My sponsor, see what's going on here? Your ideas about women are completely distorted. And my ideas of what a man should be, real men don't cry. Real men fight like John Wayne. Real, real men have oodles of money. But what if I cry? What if I'm not a good fighter? And what if I'm poor? Am I less than a man? What is a real man and a woman? A direct reflection of the power called God. Period. End of story. But I came at this work with false belief systems. And if you want to know how well you're doing, take a look at your belief systems because they will be a reflection of your actions and vice versa. And there's no God in any of this stuff. Quick to find a fault in you and things that I excuse in myself over and over and over again. My personal relationships, how I think this relationship should look. One of the clear things, the glaring things I found in my inventory was I had zero, and I mean this, zero relationship with God. It was all about people, places, and things to fix me. And I used everything. Even when I was being kind, I was a self-seeker. Even when I brought you a gift, I was a self-seeker. Even when I bought her roses, I wanted something. It was about attachments to everything because you have to fix me. You have to fill me up. Now, that wasn't a clear thought. But underneath the surface, was about you do for me. And when you don't, I had a problem with you. It says the great reality is deep down within in chapter 10 Agnostics. God, the great reality is deep down within every one of us. When I have a resentment, I'm blocked from everyone. I'm alone. And the knee-jerk reaction is to go out and get more. And it's just an empty feeling. We walk away depleted. We walk away alone. We walk away drunk all the time because folks like us need a drink to survive. You do, you give me. We see, I secretly demanded that you fill me up on cue <laughs> with a certain inflection when I'm ready. Go to work, boss says, good morning. I say, good morning. Oh, I like this job. My boss knows my name. Ain't this great? I love this job. That's Monday. Tuesday, he just walks by me. F him, I quit the job. I hate this place. <laughs> right? What kind of guy is this, right? right? We do that times a few thousand. Perceptions of life. There's a great story. Uh, there's a, an actor, a uh, pretty popular actor. He's one of us. And he was at, um, I forget what they call him, to give the awards away for the best TV show. And uh, he said he was sitting there. And the show went on an hour, two hours. He's going, oh, my God, this is, like, ridiculous. When is this going to end? I can't believe it. And they called his name to win this award. And he says, wow, I love this place. What a great show, you know, right? <laughs> Same thing when you get a speaker up there. You go, oh, no, Joe with his big book. I hate this guy. Oh, my God, of all the meetings, I got to get out of here. And two minutes into the talk, he says, I want to thank Frank for helping me so much. And you go, he's a great guy. What a great speaker. <laughs> right? Right? I've been reading something talking about wavering. 
Most of us are wavering. I want it, I don't want it. I'm going to Lentz, not today. I need a sponsor, but not her. I need her, no, and him, no, I don't know. And we go back and forth, and all we do is nothing. Wavering. And what I read is very profound. We're easily influenced. Other things out there push us around. We're double-minded, not God-minded, and unstable, obviously, because we're flip-flopping back and forth constantly. Back in Brooklyn, we used to say, stand for something or fall for anything. Same thing. Am I all in? What's my commitment to my life? If I can make a commitment to my life, Marion says, celebrate your life. I'm celebrating my God. And the illness doesn't stand the chance. And I hit my fourth column, which is where rubber hits the road. Because for the first time in my life, I'm taking my inventory, even if you ripped me off, even if I was involved in your drive-by, even if you did bad things to me, and our book acknowledges that, people have done bad things to us, sexual abuse, verbal abuse, physical abuse, just abuse. Book says disregard what they did entirely. What's my part? What an order, I can't go through with it. How long have I been hating these people? How long have I been gossiping about these people? Where was I selfish, dishonest, self-seeking, and frightened? It's my any lens. And I'll, I'll give you a quick example. We've got to wrap. Um, ages 8 to 10, I was uh, treated inappropriately by a distant relative. Some abuse issues there. I walked around into to my adulthood with that secret, feeling dirty, violated, etc. I'm a, I'm a man. I couldn't understand I was a boy. I was powerless over what was going on. I questioned my own manhood at one point for letting another man treat me that way. I was eight, nine, and 10. What could I do? I started inventory. It says, it's your inventory, Pete, no one else's, regardless of what they did. And I'm paraphrasing out of our book. And it asked me, Peter, where were you selfish, dishonest, self-seeking, and frightened? I said, what? I was a baby, if you think about it. I closed my book, I put down the pen, and I started to cry, and I called my sponsor. And I had his girlfriend on the phone who was an Allen on black belt. <laughs> <laughs> and she caught me, because I was, I was off the ledge, sinking quick. She caught me. And she held me up until my sponsor got to the phone and shared with me an experience that, ident that was identical to what I just wrote on paper. And he said, uh, how long have you been hating this man? I says, my whole life. I'm older and stronger. And if I had him in a room alone, I'd probably put him in an emergency room. I hate him. He says, that's where you're at fault. That's your any lens. Stop hating. Don't have to love. Don't have to be friends with him. Stop hating. I got to a point because of the love of God and the mercy of God that I was able to forgive this person. We're not friends. We'll never hang out. But forgiveness helped me just as much as it freed him. It freed me. And I had to pray for the willingness to forgive. It started with writing inventory. And it was tough to put that on paper. I hate him. Hate is selfishness. My despair that I felt about that was in another extreme form of self. It was all about me. 
And we can, we can look at it face value and say, well, yeah, anyone would feel that way. But here's my any lens. Hate will kill me. Resentment will take me back to a drink. What lens am I willing to go to? And am I going to trust God, this leap of faith? Well, here it is, if you want to believe in it. How, how am I going to do with this? Is God everything as our book said, or is God nothing? God better be everything right now because I'm about to leap. I did. It wasn't so bad. In fact, it's many years since I wrote that first inventory. That person has been in my company, not close, but in the same room, maybe a room this big. He was there. I was here. I was very aware. I didn't feel dirty. I didn't feel like I had to run. I didn't even feel violent. I was placed in a position of neutrality, safe and protected what our book promises us, and that's when God wraps his arm around us like a mama would do with her infant, and no one's getting in. We're safe. That's the mercy of God. That's the love of God. On my own power, I'll never experience it. I will look. I will go down different avenues to experience that. I will go down the food avenue. I will go down the sex avenue. I will go down the music avenue. I will go down the health fitness avenue, all to feel God's loving arms around me. None of it works. I will go down the drug and booze avenue. None of it works. Quick fix. None of it works. Until I surrender to this power, I get dismantled with self, and I'm left standing in the raw, and suddenly, what's left is God's loving arms around me and I know I'm okay. I'm not a mistake. No one will abuse me. I walk with my creator. One of the greatest gifts I've gotten next to sobriety is knowing that I am known by my creator. I offer that to you. Walk with knowing that you're known by your creator. You're set free. Nothing can touch you. No one, no thing can touch you. It comes by writing inventory four through nine. Are you kidding me? The mind can't wrap its arms around that one, can't figure it out. It's not logical. You better believe it's not logical, but it's God. Huh? Where are we going to walk? Back to the bar, back to the shooting gallery, back to the crack house, or walk with God and get free. Huh? Because someone's waiting for us to sponsor them, we better be ready. That's all I got. Peace. Peace.